welcome to the Flora Fauna Foca podcast. My name's Elsie. And my name's Ramit. And today we are talking about wolves. Wolves, the big, bad, scary wolves. <laughs> and the not so scary. We're continuing our Brothers Grimm season with uh, yet another story about some German animals. Uh, but today we are coming to you from the north banks of the Bow River, which is part of the territory of the Blackfoot Confederacy, which is the Gainai, Siksika, and Bigani nations, the Stony Nakoda nations, which is the Wesley, Bearspaw, and Chiniki nations, the Tsutana nation, and the homeland of the Métis nation of Alberta region three. Uh, we mention this because all stories come from place, and the stories that we're telling you today are, are German folk tales about the animals from Germany, but they have analogs here. And they inform a lot of how settlers have historically interacted with the land in North America and uh, how we can kind of use those stories going forward to make a, a new way. Great. And maybe that'll come up later in this podcast. Perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> so... Our story today is not too bad. I don't think there's too many content warnings we need to worry about. It's about as rough as like the Three Little Pigs or Little Red Riding Hood. So stories that we often tell kids that aren't 100% happy, <laughs> uh, but they aren't too scary. So we might cover topics in a way that would be more appropriate for older children or adults today, but hopefully we, we shouldn't scare anyone too much. Hopefully. Yeah, no nightmares. <laughs> so today's story is The Wolf and the Seven Little Kids. All right, so a wolf and seven children. Uh, seven goats. <laughs> seven goat children. <laughs> okay. That's a, that's a wrinkle already. <laughs> Are you ready for the story, Ramit? Yeah. Yes, oh. I'm ready. Okay. So to begin... Once upon a time, there was a, a goat family that lived in a cottage in the forest. So there was a mother goat and seven goat kids. Yeah, so the mother goat, uh, just a little extra tidbit, would be a nanny goat. Uh, but she wasn't the nanny, she was the mom. Okay. And kids, as far as goats go, literally means baby goat, yes. right? Yes. <laughs> what is a father goat do you know uh, billy goat oh there we go i'm pretty sure it's nanny goat and billy goat and kids hmm yeah so there's nanny mcphee and is there a billy mcphee <laughs> not to my knowledge okay. okay so they lived in the forest and the mother goat was going to go on a little errand in the woods so she was going to leave her kids at home while she went off to do important adult goat things and she told them. What does an adult goat do? Eats a whole hell of a lot. <laughs> does it, would, a, would an adult goat be bringing, so would the, the nanny goat here be bringing food back for the children? No. No, at this point, I guess she'd be eating and then they'd be drinking her milk. But typically with goats, they'd be doing this in the same location. So they'd be in a field. This is... They're anthropomorphic goats. They don't have homes <laughs> with doors. 
I'm imagining <laughs> I'm imagining a very like European home. Yeah, it's like a little cottage. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So goat mom goes away, leaves the kids at home. But before she leaves, she says to them, dear children, I have to go, but be careful that you don't let anyone through the door who isn't me. There's someone in particular, the wolf, that I'm concerned about. But you'll know him by his black paws and his rough voice. So he might try to disguise himself, but if you remember that he has a rough voice and black paws, you'll be able to stay safe in the house if you don't let him in. Rough voice, black paws. Yeah. What is a rough voice? I'm imagining like a voice like sandpaper. <laughs> yeah, that would do it. I don't know if I'll be able to do a rough voice. Um, usually I can only manage it if I'm sick <laughs> or very, mm-hmm. very sleepy. Or very dehydrated maybe. Yeah. A rough voice. Very spooky rough voice. I don't know. <laughs> this isn't an ASMR was, podcast. That was very uh, ghost-like. <laughs> Like you, you know, um, what are the, oh my goodness. What are they called in Harry Potter? The like soul eater things. Oh, the Dementors. Yeah. I imagine a Dementor sounding like that. Okay. I feel like at this rate, we almost should just restart the story. No. (laughs) It's been derailed so long. Keep going. I want to (laughs) hear. Okay. So the kids say, don't worry, mom, we got this. We won't let anyone in but you. And so she leaves And it isn't long before there's a knock at the door and there's someone with a rough voice outside who says, open the door, dear children. I've come back from the forest and I have gifts for all of you. Let me in. (laughs) Don't trust him. (laughs) It's a Dementor. (laughs) And so you're correct. The the kids cry, we won't let you in. You're not who you say you are. You have a rough voice. And our mother has a very soft, gentle voice. And we know that it isn't her. Okay. And so the kids stayed safe and the, the wolf went away. He doesn't uh, have an ability to get in beyond, like the only way he can get in is through the door. Yeah, I guess it's sort of like vampire rules. Yes, <laughs> it, it does sound like in. vampire rules. <laughs> He has to be invited inside. Yeah. So the wolf goes away and goes to um, a shopkeeper and buys some chalk. And he eats it to make his voice soft like chalk. (laughs) (laughs) That makes no sense. I think it's like a stretched metaphor where like because the chalk is soft, it makes his voice soft. But... I don't know. I imagine if you ate chalk, you'd probably have like a raspy voice. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Because um, <laughs> of all the chalk in your mouth. I mean, it's powdery when it's been, you know, like when you when you chalk something, it's it's like you're leaving a trail of like powder. Uh, does that mean anything that has anything to do with hard versus soft? I don't know. But okay, whatever. We'll allow this with with uh, 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 rough voice, black paw wolf man. Okay. The wolf comes back to the door and knocks and says, 
Open the door, dear children. Your mother is here, and I've brought back something for each of you from the forest. That's his, like, softer voice. <laughs> That's a smart ploy. I brought you back something. Mm-hmm. Don't you want to see what it is? <laughs> but the the little kids, they ask, first we need to see your paws and or your feet. And I guess they see that there are black feet and not the white feet that they're expecting. And so they say, no, you're the wolf. You're trying to deceive us. We won't let you in. Are these goats like white goats? I guess so. They, I imagine like white and brown. Because goats can have black feet, can't they? They can. Yeah. Yeah. I think Spanish goats sometimes. They hmm. have like the long floopy ears and the nice like black like stockings. <laughs> what was that? The, the, the witch, the movie The Witch, it has, uh, I think it has a black goat in it. A black goat that is all, like an all black goat would have black pause i think yeah yeah it would. anyway this is a horror movie like forget forget anything about you know <laughs> i don't know if it's a real type of goat is is yeah, my point it would be they come in lots of different shapes and sizes all they know is that their mom looks different than the wolf so they turn the wolf away and uh the wolf has an idea so the wolf goes to a baker and says to the baker i've hurt my feet will you rub some dough on them okay what kind of dough is this it's bread dough. Okay. It's a remedy for sore feet that I've never, ever heard of. I, I'm surprised that the baker went along with it, but he did. So now the wolf has um, feet covered in dough. And then he goes off to a miller, so someone who makes flour, and asks the miller to sprinkle some flour over his doughed up feet. And the miller knows that something's up and is like, uh, you're trying to deceive someone. I'm not going to help you. And then the wolf decides to threaten him and say if you don't help me i'm going to eat you and then of course the the miller is afraid and goes along with it and then the story is really sassy and it says yes that's how people are so i don't really blame the miller for doing that something that that called to mind for me is like you know when you're rolling dough it helps to have some flour there yeah as well i I don't know if like that somehow like, is that how they got the idea? Is like, oh, we didn't have flour this day. And oh my God, it was so difficult to roll this dough. Well, this wolf, we'll just say that this somehow helps the, the dough on his feet what? and not stick to things. I have no idea. I'm just thinking, is there some sort of connection to that? Because like, why would it be dough and then flour? I think that dough is something that's malleable and sticky. Right. And so he could have like put honey on his feet or he could have put dough on his feet. doesn't really matter. But the flour makes it white because he wants white feet. That's the whole point. Now, isn't dough already kind of white? Like kind off-white? Of, it's off-white because of the egg or whatever that's in the dough. Mm. So. I guess, I guess the nanny goat did say white and not yeah. off-white. Yeah. <laughs> so... Now the wolf has white looking paws. Wait, wait, you said something about humans being like that? Yeah, it says, yes, that's how people are. What? (laughs) I think it's just the narrator being a little sassy about how people cave in to threats. Okay. 
wants to teach children like yes people are hypocrites <laughs> yeah when we're scared we do things to prevent the objects of our fear from actually harming us and that's just very very silly <laughs> well <laughs> so we are following the wolf now wolf has white paws and goes back to the door of the cottage for the third time and knocks on the door and says open the door for me children you your dear mother has come back from the forest with something for everyone please open the door and the kids cried first show us your paws or your feet so that we can know that you are our mother and when the paws go through the window and they're white uh, the kids believe that it's the mom and they open the door but who would be there but the wolf and so all the kids run screaming and they hide under different things in the house some of them are under the chairs some of them are under the table some of them are hiding in the stove some of them are hiding under the bed some of them are hiding in the clock and the wolf eats six of the kids because he doesn't know how many there are and he eats them so fast he wolfs them down ha 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 wolfs them down yeah that is a hungry wolf very hungry wolf. six goats and like goats are not tiny i guess they're they're young goats yeah they're kids yeah they're just like little snack-sized <laughs> pieces of, of food. And the wolf leaves. And after a while, the mom comes back from the forest. And she is startled to see all the furniture knocked over. And she's looking for her kids and she can't find them. And she's calling them out by their names. And eventually she gets the name of the youngest goat. And the youngest one says, I'm here. I'm in the, the clock. <laughs> And so she goes to the grandfather clock, op opens it up, finds the youngest kid, and the youngest kid tells her what happens. And of course, they're really sad because all of their, well, for the baby goat, it's all of their siblings were murdered. For the mom, it's all of her kids were murdered, and they're crying together. And after a while, they decide to go out to the meadow together. And when they're there, they see the wolf sleeping under a tree. And they see movement in the wolf's belly. Oh, I see. I was going to be like, are they going to play a prank on him? <laughs> no, they, they think that the wolf might have live goats inside of him. Okay. And so the mother goat tells the, the youngest kid, go back to the house, grab scissors, a needle, and some thread. What is she doing meanwhile? Watching. Just watching this wolf sleep? Yeah. It's weird. <laughs> and so the baby goat comes back with the tools and they cut open the the sleeping wolf with the scissors and they don't have to cut far before the first kid pops out and then another and another and another and another and another and they're all so happy to be uh, freed and they're all dancing and hugging and the wolf is unconscious through all of this even though he wasn't anesthetized or knocked wow. out or anything so he's like still asleep it must have been very tiring <laughs> so we also we've been saying i maybe it's just me i think we've both said he for the wolf mm -hmm. is is this is this a part of the story or in the is story this it's a he okay yeah okay and so all of the 
the kids are freed. They're so happy. The wolf still has an open wound. And the mom goat has an idea of replacing all of those kids with stones. And so all of the kids go and grab some stones and they pack the wolf's belly full of stones and they sew it up. And the wolf is still sleeping. So I guess they all kind of scamper away after they sewed him up. That's a weird... So that's the prank, I think. That's a weird thing to do. I guess like... Uh, the wolf will have to pass a stone or something like is that <laughs> is that kind of their their joke maybe hard to digest so a little while later the wolf awakens and is sort of feeling really heavy and thirsty and the wolf goes toward the well looking for water and when he's walking toward the well he kind of feels these stones hitting around inside of him instead of the the goats that he thought were there and he says what rumbles and tumbles against my poor bones i thought twas six kids but it's not but big stones mm. this is a wolf that is very in tune with his body he can tell <laughs> what's inside of it <laughs> i suppose so good self-knowledge but he gets over to the well to drink some water and he needs to bend down to get the bucket. And when he's bending down, the heavy stones inside of him kind of cause him to fall forward and he tumbles into the well. And of course, the stones weigh him down so that he can't float and he drowns. And then I guess the seven kids were lurking somewhere watching and they come running out and they cry, the wolf is dead, the wolf is dead. And they dance for joy around his corpse. Hmm. The end. The end? <laughs> I mean, that does sound like an ending point. It's So, okay. What is heavier? A belly full of stones or a belly full of six goats? <laughs> Hard to say. Because was he going to die anyway? Waking up thirsty. I think And if then you... falling into a well and yeah. then sinking. If you eat goat's hole he must have like a really impressive jaw like just unhinge his jaw completely yeah he's part snake <laughs> oh funny that is wild yeah so that's one of the stories in the brothers Grimm series the brothers Grimm wrote a whole bunch of stories about wolves this isn't the only one so our most commonly told one would be little red cap or little red riding hood but there are other shorter stories as well. And I might tell one of those now. So there's another story called The Wolf and the Fox. Are you ready for this one? Yes. Our, uh, I, I believe, I, I'm not sure, foxes are part of the same like family genus, something as wolves, right? Yeah, they're both uh, canids. Okay. So in the dog family. Okay. Uh, but foxes are much, much smaller and eat different things and live in different habitats. So from the first story, it's like a wolf is like kind of like a trickster, like a malevolent trickster. Mm -hmm. I am curious to see how the Brothers Grimm view foxes. Mm -hmm. So there was a wolf and a fox that spent a lot of time together. And the wolf being bigger often imposed his will on the fox. So whatever the wolf wanted to do, the fox kind of had to. 
um, because the fox was weaker. But the fox would gladly be rid of the wolf if he could. Hmm. So one day they were going through the forest and the wolf said, Red fox, get me something to eat or else I will eat you. And the fox said, well, I know that there's a farm where there's a few little lambs. If you'd like, we can go get one of them. And the wolf was happy. And so they went there and the fox got one of the lambs and took it to the wolf and went away. The wolf ate it all, but wasn't really satisfied with just one and wanted more. So the wolf went back and tried to get the other one and did so kind of awkwardly. There was a bunch of noise that it made and the other lamb kind of heard it and ran away and made lots of cries and bleats. And the farmer came running out and saw the wolf and decided to start beating the wolf. So they like throw things at it and try to hit it with stuff. And so the wolf came back to the fox limping and said, you've misled me. I wanted to get the other lamb, but they've, um, the people there surprised me and now I'm all hurt and it's all your fault. And the fox said, why are you so gluttonous? Why are you so greedy? Hmm. It's, is it, is this wolf gluttonous, greedy, or is the wolf hungry? Cause the first lamb was not enough. Mm-hmm. Wasn't that the whole point? Mm-hmm. So what is the fox's plan here? Yeah. The next day, they go further in the country, and the wolf says the same kind of thing. So, red fox, get me something to eat, or else I will eat you. And the fox says, well, I know that there's a farm where someone's probably making pancakes. We can go get some of those. And so they went around to the farmhouse, and they sniffed around until they found some. And the fox carried off six of the pancakes and carried them to the wolf and said, here's something for you to eat. And the wolf wolfed them down right away, ate all six of them in an instant, and said, ah, the taste of them makes me want more. And so the wolf went back to the farmhouse and got so hungry that he was eating all the pancakes and started knocking dishes and breaking them. Pancakes? pancakes. A wolf and fox eating (laughs) pancakes? Yeah. They went from lambs to pancakes? (laughs) And yeah. they loved them, pa- the pancakes? <laughs> so I don't know about foxes, but my understanding is wolves are like pretty strictly carnivorous. Yeah, being like canids, they're all omnivores. They're able to eat meat and plants, but if you think about the diets of wolves, they're pretty much just meat eaters. They're massive. They have to... Yeah. I mean, there are other massive creatures that don't eat meat as much, mm-hmm. but... Yeah. So this is a little unusual, but they, they could, being omnivorous, like they could eat pancakes. It's just <laughs> not usually what they would want to eat. What do you think a pancake in Germany would have had on it? I guess it could be like a potato pancake, possibly. Oh. But, or it, it could just be like a, because it probably wouldn't be like an American style pancake. Oh, so see, I was I was looking for like some sort of maple syrup analog. Ah. <laughs> I mean, there might be butter. I think butter is probably reasonable. Mm. But um, the wolf was making all this noise, breaking dishes. And then the woman in the house came out and she started gathering other people together. And they took their sticks and they started hitting the wolf, trying to get him away from the house, punish him for eating their food. 
And the wolf kind of came back to the fox even more beaten up with a limp now, saying, the peasants caught me and beat me and it's all your fault. And the fox says, why are you so greedy? Why are you so greedy? It's one thing to eat all the pancakes. It's another to destroy all the dishes. (laughs) So on the third day, they're alone together. And the wolf says, red fox, get me something to eat or I will eat you. And the fox says, well, I know someone who's been hunting and the salted meat is just laying in a barrel in the cellar. We could go get that. And the wolf says, I will go when you do, because you'll be able to help me if I can't get away this time, because I'm pretty beaten up. And so the fox says, well, sure, but kind of has a plan. So when they get down to the cellar of this hunter's house, they have this uh, big barrel of salted meat that they see in front of them. And there's lots and lots of meat. And the wolf started eating it voraciously and started filling himself says there's plenty of time before i need to leave and the fox also liked to eat it but was looking around everywhere and was running back to the place where um, they came in just to to see this the size of the hole and the wolf asked fox why are you running back and forth why are you jumping in and out and the fox says well i must make sure that no one's coming so make sure you don't eat too much And then the wolf says, I will not leave until this barrel is empty. And in the meantime, the farmer starts to hear some noise of the foxes jumping back and forth. And the hunter comes down into the cellar. And when the fox sees him, he runs away in one bound through the hole that they came through. But the wolf was trying to follow him. And he was too fat to go through the hole. Oh, no, it's a fat wolf. Because he ate too much. And because he was stuck in the the hunter's cellar, uh, he was killed. Presumably shot. Yeah. By the hunter. Yeah. The end. Oh, so they're both wily. Uh, this wolf is more about brute force. It's more about like asserting his will. Yeah, taking more than the fox thinks he needs. Yeah, I mean, the fox only knows what his experience is like with food, mm. I think. The, I mean, the wolf is fat. Mm. And so I think the there are a few things that go into that. There is a, a connection between fatness and having too much. Mm. Uh, fatness and greed, I guess. Which, mm. uh, I guess, speaks to the Brothers Grimm's values, but also, I guess, like society at large, maybe. So there's that. Hmm. Uh, Do you have a favorite of those two stories? Well, I think they're both interesting. So one of the things about the Brothers Grimm portrayal of wolves is that they represent aspects of ourselves that we know are there, but we aren't pleased with. So they can be either people's desire to deceive others, to get what they want, or people's desire to have more than they need or to take more than they need um, or I guess just like forces of like destruction that are kind of beyond human control like um, they just kind of yeah represent like the bad things and that all kind of happens 
um, to change in Europe around the medieval ages. So when people start um, really uh, becoming more Christianized and there's a lot of uh, like pastoral uh, livestock-based agriculture uh, as well. So with Christianity, a lot of the myths around wolves were related to the Bible. So Jesus compared people to sheep and wolves were kind of cast as anything like predatory to those sheep or like any, any force of evil that could try to sway people or harm people. Was this something that also came from Jesus? So this is something older than Jesus. It would be uh, throughout the Mesopotamian region. So Israel at this point would have been uh, heavily pastoral. So most of the clothing and food would be from goats or sheep. And so goats and sheep are extremely important to the people of that region. And so because of that, wolves are seen as the enemy because they're predators of those animals. Wolves are the enemy. (laughs) For those people. But if you look in Europe before the Middle Ages, in more, um, even before like Roman conquest even, there were different views of wolves because the people in those areas hunted for food rather than farming uh, livestock. And so they saw wolves as more of a... I guess ambivalent character where there's bad things where wolves sometimes attack people and that's not good. Um, But good things too, in that they can teach people how to interact with landscapes and teach people how to be. And so they're often associated with loyalty and strength and courage and teamwork and those kinds of things. So they're, they're used in a lot of um, reverential kind of ways. And they featured actually quite heavily in a lot of religions of um, ancient Europe. Hmm. Um, But yeah, Christianity kind of changed that mixed view uh, to a more negative one. What a switch. Yeah. Well, when you combine like religion and economics, like it leads to changes in myths and storytelling. Religionomics? <laughs> that's what that's what the combination of religion and economics leads to for me. <laughs> but yeah, it's really informed the stories that we've uh, heard, the stories we continue to tell today, uh, and we, the stories that were brought with us. So all of those European stories of the big bad wolf came to North America and informed a lot of the behaviors of people toward wolves here. Hmm. Maybe you could argue that wolves were like the, the, the force of nature, like the pro nature force of nature that was attempting to counteract what humanity was doing. You know, like if you look at, if you look at nature as like a system, Mm. you've, as humanity like co-opted pieces of it and started doing things and like the wolves are a piece of that that's like pushing against that instead of like reacting to that in a sensible way understanding what's actually happening humans are like no wolves are bad right is that like do you understand what i'm saying okay (laughs) okay 
<laughs> is it a stretch? I don't think it's a stretch. Uh, that is interesting, though. Yeah, I mean, so when you were saying that, uh, I was thinking of stories that I've heard from the place that we are from uh, about how Nappy took the form of a coyote to teach people how to be on the land. Hmm. So people learned from coyotes how to hunt or how to interact in groups and where to go and where not to go and what to eat and what not to eat. That's, you know what, that's, uh, huh. So what I'm thinking about is coyotes and wolves are related Mm -hmm. and they have a generally kind of a respectful relationship. They're like, they can actually interbreed. Uh, Coyotes obviously have a reason to fear wolves because wolves can also see them as prey. So it's, it's complex, but coyotes benefit from wolves being around Mm -hmm. because then they can scavenge uh, their kills, right? So it, it's interesting because like basically the idea there is just from observing nature is you like, observing coyotes specifically, you can see how they can teach so much how to be in this world when you have these like enormous killing machines, which is one way that we look at wolves uh, roaming the land alongside them. Mm-hmm. Well, and something that it's taken us honestly far too long to understand is sort of the top-down trophic cascades that can happen. So in Yellowstone National Park, which is probably the chief example of this, the reintroduction of wolves really changed things in a, in a good way uh, because deer and elk were overgrazing the landscape, uh, removing vegetation that was leading to erosion and um, vegetation loss. And so with the reintroduction of the wolves, the deer and the elk populations declined and started to move a little bit further. Also, the populations of deer and elk became healthier because wolves tend to prey upon the weaker members of the group um, who have diseases that could harm the group at large. And so... When the deer and the elk were moving around more, the river had a chance to revegetate, and so did the other areas of the landscape, and the rivers actually changed and became cleaner because the wow. wolves were reintroduced. Uh, yeah, the killing the weakest, diseased... I don't know much about Charles Darwin, but I, I do wonder <laughs> if like that's where survival of the fittest like came from. Not, not wolves specifically, but that kind of like observation of nature. Yeah. So it's Al- uh, Russell Wallace, who was more of the survival of the fittest guy. Um, and yeah, it, it has its like dirty hands and eugenics. Like we don't need to go there. Unfortunately, that's where it was taken. Um, But what is meant is more that like contagious diseases are less likely to impact the herd and population numbers were kept within containable limits. 
the Yellowstone thing is is uh, generally, I think, considered a huge success. I mean, you you outlined it pretty thoroughly there, and in the United States, they've had to reintroduce wolves in different places because the wolf is more or less extinct. And so Yellowstone, um, I, I, my understanding is they're doing fairly well now after a reintroduction period, which was very controversial, um, but it ended up benefiting the land. Now you have ranchers that live there uh, around Yellowstone that you know are invested in their livestock staying alive. And every once in a while, there are attacks on their livestock, but they have a system in place where they are compensated financially by the government for any livestock losses to wolves specifically. And it's, I mean, they don't, they don't love it. I don't think Uh, as evidenced by other States and what they're doing. Uh, Colorado is going to be reintroducing wolves or maybe they already have. And there's a, a lot of pushback from ranchers there Mm. so it is one of those those things it's tricky it's 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 good you know the reason we were able to get there i think in in addition to like overgrazing of land and those things is kind of just recognizing the damage we've done for no reason really you know yeah it's it's tricky ranching is really really hard and it's very difficult to make money doing it uh, when so many factors are uh, beyond your control and the introduction of wolves feels like an another risky factor. Um, but a healthy population of wolves are less inclined to eat livestock. They prefer wild prey. Um, but there's there are certain non-lethal techniques um, to reduce predation by wolves. So a big one is removing any carcasses from the herd, like really isolating them when they happen so that the wolves aren't attracted by the smell of that carcass or bones. Um, That one's easier said than done sometimes, (laughs) Um, but it's really important. Other things are adding unfamiliarity. So wolves are really shy around unfamiliar things in their environment. Sometimes it's flagging, so like fladry. Sometimes it's like sounds and like- So, So wait, 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 sorry, what's that? Fladry, um, it's a technique where like a bunch of colored flags are like taped on things or moved on things so that like it looks like big, colorful moving stuff and it scares animals away. Oh, so it's sort of like having uh, crow raven sounds at train stations or having an owl uh, statue perched somewhere like things or like a maybe a better example is a scarecrow. Uh, yeah things like that yeah like basically deterrence that are like pretend things yeah i mean flattery is a little bit more effective than scarecrows i've heard there's quite a bit of success with those like giant inflatable tube people like the ones outside of used car dealerships the ones that like floop their arms up in the air and then come down again because they're really big and really unpredictable. Hmm. So there's been some success with those. Other groups will use like strobe lights or like... Um, uh, <laughs> strobe like, lights for um, wolves. Blank guns, like 
starting pistols, that kind of thing. So it, it's labor intensive because you often have to move the herd around and you have to implement all of these different strategies and then implement new ones so that they don't become too used to anything. And of course, that's like a lot of labor for ranchers and for a lot of ranchers that doesn't feel like it's worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's complicated. Yeah. It's, it's the relationship we have with food is, is dependent on farming and and farming animals too, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, you're right. Like the, the word is complex. The word that you use is it's the right word. Yeah, yeah it's tricky. But keeping populations of wolves in like intact groups um, and making sure that they're healthy really does help with this. So a lot of these stories originate from a time in Europe where wolves, wolf populations were declining because of hunting. So people were hunting wolves in an effort to protect wildlife. And that hunting was leading to the disruption of wolf packs so that there were more lone wolves that were on their own looking for food instead of hunting with a pack, which would be more successful. Were they, this is from my own understanding, were they hunting wolves to, to prevent deaths to wildlife or to farmed life, both? I guess to both in that, like medieval lords and stuff had forests where their their deer were living and they would hunt those deer. That's weird. That kind of thing. Okay. So it, it's like wild and domestic animals. So they were killing wolves. And a lot of these lone wolves were super hungry because they were less successful at hunting and the stakes were high. And they would do what any desperate hungry animal does and come into towns where there are seemingly easy prey. So that would be uh, things like young animals or children. And that brings us stories like the ones that we told today or A Little Red Riding Hood, uh, where the fear is that children and young animals will be killed by wolves and that the wolf is big and bad because they're doing this thing that's scary to people. Yeah. Yeah. The wolf pack is such an important, uh, such an important piece of the, the life cycle of wolves generally, you know, they, they, they live and they die as a pack. Uh, it's, it's also, you know, there it's complicated because offspring will after they hit the age of one to two ish they will move on from the pack in a lot of circumstances to find their or to start their own pack and you know when wolf populations are healthy you can imagine the that the the territory of that pack is is not so large that that wolf has to travel a huge distance to find a a place where there is another wolf that this wolf can start a pack with, you know, because a a wolf pack is an alpha male, alpha female. That's generally sort of the idea. Mm. And then from that, there will be offspring. There will be aunts, uncles. They usually like the 
like 25 would be a huge pack like 25 members in a pack that would be a very large pack there they have, there have been larger packs observed and in some places uh the word pack all it needs is two wolves mm. uh, but that's not really you know a pack that's not like you don't have like all these members with different roles uh so when you have a decent amount of prey for the wolves the territories are smaller when the when the um the dispersing member peels off and finds uh, a new place to start a pack they don't have to travel very far and the, these territories that they create because they they do like each pack has a territory they're they're a little fluid right the boundaries move around a little bit seasonal changes affect you know what uh, what prey will be there or when the prey will be there or how much of the prey will be around and also the the pack might move a little bit and if they move then another another pack can move in a little bit wolves use howling uh, to communicate a lot and biologists don't really know the full extent of what they can communicate to one another i was seeing there is a, a study on dogs different breeds of dogs to see what the effect of wolf howls is on dogs mm. and the the older breeds like the older as in like the the less uh, the less domesticated breeds of dogs had a, a a larger had a more like profound response to the howls mm. there was very obvious signs of um, stress, agitation, those sorts of things. Whereas the newer breeds, uh, like d domesticated dogs that had been bred further and further and further away from their, the, the, like their place as, as wolves thousands of years ago, they didn't react as deeply. Hmm. So it's, it's interesting to think about all of these things, I guess. That's really fascinating. I've seen some studies about, uh, European versus North American wolves and how their howls are different. So um, linguists are cagey about acknowledging any language other than human language. So I would maybe refer to it more as like a dialectical difference where the way that the howls are made in Europe inflect differently than the ones in North America. Scientists have played uh, the house to each population. So like they've recorded European wolves and played them for North American wolves and there's a response. So there's a recognition of what it is and what it means, but it's, uh, it's interesting that there are regional differences in how they speak, which indicates some degree of learning involved. Hmm. So it's a difference between like, these wolves say hello, and these other ones say hello. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> nice. Or, or maybe more like bonjour. It's hard to know whether it's a dialect or whether it's a language difference, but means means the same thing to them. <laughs> well, but they're able to understand it well enough. Mm -hmm. So that means they... Yeah, whatever. I, <laughs> let's not anthropomorphize them <laughs> so much that they have like the same language as we do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, 
You know, just searching wolves on the internet in preparation for this episode, there's so much, so much even now just about like fears of wolves. Like there was a wolf attack here and like there's a lot of like negativity swirling around wolves. There's also at the same time, this is probably not surprising given given our conversation, a lot of like conservation efforts out there. Mm. So anytime there's like, Oh, there was a, uh, this many wolves were hunted at this place. There is a conservation group responding to that being like, this is not just this, this, this hunting needs to stop. We need to protect, protect these animals because they are, uh, an endangered species in the United States. They're not considered an endangered species in Canada. Mm. So uh, different relationships in different places. And yeah, uh, yeah I, a lot of that hunting does go back to ranchers and, and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. But yeah, uh, there was a German cyclist that was commuting to work. And they came across some wolves and they were like, okay, I'm going to turn my bike around, go a different direction. And the wolves started chasing this person. Mm. Very, very scary sounding because the person did get away. Uh, Thankfully, they actually said it was because of the, uh, I don't really know how an e-bike works, but I guess there's kind of like it can like kick in. Battery assist. Exactly. So there's some sort of assisted thing that kicks in well that saved this person but they were like for a while they're like i could just like these wolves were so close that i could hear them breathing (laughs) so yikes yeah yeah it's pretty pretty scary um i was looking up what to do if you encounter wolves and it's basically the kind of thing that you do with a coyote so definitely don't run don't look it in the eye then definitely don't turn your back on them Make yourself really, really big. Make yourself really, really loud. Throw things, uh, potentially, if if there's signs of aggression. Um, and yeah, just like stand your ground, make yourself really, really big. And don't look away. <laughs> don't look away. So do look the wolf in the eye. Well, I wouldn't say necessarily the eyes, but like looking at them. Because the, the thing is, if you turn around, then it's an opening for them. It's the same with, with bulls. Like you don't turn your back on a bull. Mm. Like that would, that's a bad news. Yeah. I was reading that wolves can go up to like 60 kilometers an hour in speed. Mm. So that's, that's as fast as a car. And I, you know, they're not going to maintain the 60 kilometers per hour, but if they're running that fast, they're doing it for a reason. And uh, yeah, if you, if you're turned the wrong way and this wolf decides to run as fast as a car, at you (laughs) (laughs) yeah just saying i mean we're speaking about this but wolf attacks are extremely rare like so so rare um you're more likely to be attacked by like a shark or a goose or a cow (laughs) like way more likely cow attacks those don't happen they definitely do yeah bulls bulls are crazy (laughs) hmm just a little too much testosterone for like one animal brain. So you were talking about Europe and the relationship to wolves. Mm-hmm. Uh, something, there was an article from, 
and this you know what like there there was the bit the big earthquake that happened in turkey right not that long ago so this article was three weeks ago so i think this was right like this was maybe a week or something before the earthquake okay the article is saying the existence of wolves close to istanbul because they're they found like oh there's there are wolves close to istanbul Mm. seen as a great blessing and this is like this article is just like talking about like how great it is that there are wolves there and that they use the city kind of as a channel to get from like one place to another and they they like the relationship that they have like the existence of the wolf this is the uh, uh somebody from the wildlife conservation foundation in turkey the existence of the wolf the fact that it is close to a big mega city mega city like istanbul is a great blessing there is no predator superior to the wolf in this geography that's why the wolf also plays a vital role in maintaining the balance there it is a an article full of positivity and it it stood out to me from all of the other ones because hmm. it's so different <laughs> i wonder if that's because of the the conservation lens of the organization that made the article or if it really is a different perspective in turkey Maybe I should ask some of our Turkish friends. Yeah, maybe we should. <laughs> yeah, this was saying wild animals appearing on the city border do not threaten humans. And a wolf or coyote very rarely attacks humans, which is what you had just said. So, mm. uh, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. We've found with coyotes that they're more likely to attack, of course, when they're hungry. So if they're eating things that smell like food but aren't food so like garbage that they can't properly digest Um, but they've also done studies about microbiota in their stomachs so if they have certain kinds of microbes that they normally get from eating like compost and other kinds of human related foods versus natural foods they behave in a more aggressive way and i wonder if similar things could be found for uh for animals like wolves Hmm. Uh, that could be interesting research i don't know if it's done we should look into it yeah on a semi-related note there was uh so i guess there's a a study getting national attention in the united states and so this are you, do you remember T. gondii, Toxoplasma gondii? It's commonly known as Toxo. Oh, yeah, the uh, loving the cat's uh, bacteria, right? Or parasite? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, if you have a pet cat and, like, this can transmit multiple ways i think the most common one in households the way that i read about it in the past i have no idea if this is true or not is like from the feces of your cat yeah i think it's the the parasite uh evolved with rats and so it goes from rats to cats and back so uh in order to get from the rat to the cat the bacteria or the parasite needs to get the rat to be eaten and so the rat would become more likely to, to take risks and uh, more fond of cats. Exactly. So, and there have been multiple studies that have found that, like that mice infected with this 
Parasite become attracted to cat urine, and instead of staying away from cats, they end up being like, hey, cat, I'm checking <laughs> out your urine. And, uh, and of course, the cat is like, awesome. Hmm. This is fantastic. Anyway, in Yellowstone, this parasite has been detected in some wolves and they're saying that it's it's via cougars which are cats interesting and the thing that they've observed with these wolves is that they've become more likely to uh, leave their packs and start their own Hmm. and so that's on its own a risk-taking behavior and so yeah they're more likely to take risks and they're more likely to become the leaders of their packs. Huh. Interesting. Now this has me wondering a lot of a lot of different things. I wonder if there's been research done about like Fortune 500 CEOs and whether they have toxoplasmosis <laughs> or not. <laughs> oh, maybe. Do you think that they would uh you know agree to that research? <laughs> If it says that they're special, I I imagine so. (laughs) Yes, that is the way to do it. That is the way to do it. Um, It makes me wonder whether the wolves in these stories had it too. That's what made them more willing to go into a a house, steal pancakes and break dishes. (laughs) Yeah, these are are interesting wolves in these stories. Um. I think these are probably like hungry, desperate wolves, but they don't really sound that way, do they? Like, they're just like, I feel like messing shit up. Yeah, this is where the line between um, commentary on nature and commentary on ourselves gets blurred, right? So these wolves represent the fear of of nature, elements in nature that we can't control that could threaten uh, us and where we see ourselves in nature um but it also represents the the more uncomfortable parts of our humanity the the part of us that always wants more uh the part of us that wants control over other people um the part of us that wants to get things that we didn't receive honestly and it's sort of a commentary on those parts of ourselves as much as a commentary on things beyond. Mm. I love when we view with, uh, view wolves with like reverence, mm. you know, instead of get all, I don't know, self-critical and, and then throw our bad attributes onto this like other animal, which in this case is, wolf Mm. that makes me think of uh the grandfather teaching of humility so the wolves teach us humility and i feel like that's what they've done today Mm. that's really lovely well then in that case thanks for joining us for another edition of flora fauna foca and we'll catch you next time Thank you.